1: On today's episode, we have Alyssa from Nutrition for Littles, who is a registered dietitian, a picky eating specialist, founder of the Nutrition for Littles and mama of two. She is also a podcast host for the Nutrition for Littles podcast, a creator of Table Talk, a picky eating program for families. She has a gentle approach for more peaceful mealtimes where little ones can learn to like new foods. She is passionate about teaching moms how to raise healthy, independent eaters and is dedicated to seeing families have success at mealtimes and seeing lifelong healthy eating patterns start at a young age. Wow, Alyssa, thank you so much for being here today. Of course, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to talk to you. Um, not, I mean, I, I want everyone who's listening to learn all of your wisdom that you have. But I, as a mom of two little ones too, I, I'm I'm gleaning from <laughs> whatever you're going to share today. I love it. I think you know, all parents at some point, you know, have a. Struggle getting their kids to eat at some capacity, whether it's trying a new food, whether it's eating more vegetables, um, you know, whatever it is. I know I've been at the stove a million times trying to make a meal that they have may have picked out from the store, and then they get home and they don't want to eat it. Or Mm -hmm. I'm making two meals at once, and you know, there's just a struggle around around eating. So. Um I can't wait to just dig in dig in more to to you know your wisdom and your expertise on this area cuz I think all parents need it.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, and as a mom, okay, so as, as when my kids were little, I thought I was like the mom of the year. I was like, "Oh, my kids love vegetables so much. Like they would eat everything, they would try everything I put in front of them." And then all of a sudden one day it just stopped. Do you yeah. see that in your practice? I mean, do you see that there's yeah. almost like a developmental transition that happens with kids at a certain age?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is something I talk quite in depth about inside Table Talk because, in all reality, this is a phase that a lot of parents experience with their little ones. And that's for a reason. It's actually a lot of it is biological. Right around the 18 to 24 months age, now, sometimes a little bit earlier, sometimes a little bit later, they have sure. what I like to call these picky opportunities <laughs> that pop Ooh, I up. I like that. Uh, Right. And sometimes it's a sickness. Sometimes it's teething. You know, sometimes they just have a bad experience with food or they taste something that's not quite right, or they just honestly have a fear of trying new foods, which is very natural to pop up at that age. And I always like to just kind of bring us back to how we've kind of evolved that toddlers, you know, are called toddlers for a reason is because they toddle away. Right. And this is a very common time for them to walk away, start putting things in their mouth. And the pickiness is actually um, sometimes driven biologically to keep them safe. So even though it's the very thing we curse at the dinner table, it's also something that over our evolution has kept them safe for years and generations and generations. And so that is a picky opportunity in and of itself. And it's really how we handle it. Um, Not 100%, we don't have all the control. We do have a lot of control in how we handle that in making the picky eating worse and last longer or hopefully have a shorter length at our table.
1: Okay, so going off of that, I have a question for you that I know I've tried with my kids before and it's worked, but I don't know if I should be doing it. So let me ask you this. Should you offer your children incentives to try to eat something new or maybe um, eating a vegetable or something healthy? For example, um, if you try this piece of spinach, I'll give you a chocolate chip.
0: (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Something I've literally has come out of my mouth before. And like I said, it's, it's worked, but I don't know if that's something I should be doing.
0: Sure, and I I love the approach you're taking because you're like I don't really know, but it has worked and and that's what oftentimes leads to us continuing to replicate things that have worked in the past and that's just human nature. So I typically recommend to stay away from any sort of bribing, begging, pleading, guilting, um demanding. You know, all of those fall under these added pressure techniques and I like I said, you know, at the beginning with my intro it's a gentle approach to nutrition and to teaching kids how to like new foods and that includes removing pressure techniques. Now, you're picking up on something that's very true. And I think a lot of picky eating dietitians may not um, want to admit, but pressure does work. Adding pressure does work, adding incentives, you know, bribing them. If you eat that, then you get this, Uh, demanding, telling them they have to clean their plate, guilting them. uh, You know, when I was little, I wasn't able to leave until I left, until I cleaned my plate. All of these pressures. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, so common to be part of the clean plate club, you know? And this is. This is very common, but what happens is it does work in the beginning. But ultimately what you're doing is you're digging a bigger hole with your little one. You're actually breaking their trust with food and their trust with their own body to make decisions for themselves. You're breaking that autonomy and you're saying, no, 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 I'm going to decide and I'm going to use any technique I can to get you to do it. And so it might work in the moment, but oftentimes it's kind of like a snowball that starts like picking up speed, picking up speed, and all of a sudden we're in an avalanche. Right? We all of a sudden are stuck and we're like, what's happening now? I'm offering an entire chocolate cake to my kid and he won't even lick the spinach, right? Like it starts to escalate and then we're stuck in a really deep pit of picky eating. And that's oftentimes where moms meet me and say, hey, I'm in this pit. They're eating like 10 foods and I swear they used to eat everything and nothing is working. And that's because oftentimes the things that were working are no longer because it's gotten us to this place now.
1: Right. And and I love that you bring up pressure techniques because I mean, I do, I have legitimate Uh, Very clear memories of me sitting at the table by myself, crying probably hours after everyone else has left the table, with a Brussels sprout in front of me, and begging my my parents, you know, to and I would do everything I can to like wait for them to turn around so I can like you know throw it in the trash can or you know whatever it is,
0: Um, feed it to the dog,
1: (laughs) yeah, something, and you know I, I have those clear memories and you know, I'm not saying I'm traumatized by it necessarily, but it's just, those are very clear memories. And I remember thinking right. to myself when I became a mom that I didn't want to do that. But sometimes, like you said, you're, you're so desperate maybe for your kids to eat because yeah. they're refusing to, or you really want them to eat healthy and not just, you know, chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese for every meal that you're, you desperately try to do these things. So what are some other pressure techniques um, not to do? What are some things we should avoid as, as parents? Because Sometimes they just kind of come innately, you know. Sure. Um, yeah. For example, I've heard parents say, "If you don't eat your food, you have to, you know, go go you know you're going to go straight to your room and go to bed," or. Right you know whatever the case is and obviously I don't like that but I know it's very common. So what are some sure. pitfalls or some things we should avoid when it comes to pressuring our kids?
0: Yeah, absolutely such a great question. I do want to kind of touch on something you mentioned in there is that we're doing this out of love. And I think I think sometimes when I get on Instagram, you know, it's such a <laughs> quick platform, people just see your stuff and scroll. I never yes. want to come off as like you're you're making the wrong choice intentionally. No, we are all doing absolutely. the best we can and this is coming from a place of deep love for our children. We say, "Hey, we know how important nutrition is for you. We know how important broccoli is for you. We know that you need vitamins and minerals and protein and calcium. We know these things are important and they don't necessarily know that yet. And they're too young to fully grasp or understand that or use that as a reason to eat their broccoli, even if we've tried. And so exactly. this is coming from a place of love. And oftentimes we're worried, right? We're filled with fear and anxieties there because we look at them not eating their Brussels sprout and we say, they're never gonna eat Brussels sprouts. And it's just not true. It's scary in the moment. But the best thing we can do is actually let them come to liking Brussels sprouts on their own so that they eat Brussels sprouts for the rest of their life instead of just this one moment. And sometimes that's really helpful for parents to realize is I'm a lot less about eating the broccoli today than I am about forming those healthy habits that they want to eat broccoli for the rest of their life. In fact, research shows that the foods that we pressure our kids to eat when they're kids yeah, eat, eat when they're kids are the very foods that they avoid when they're adults that they say they don't like. And so that's really important to keep in mind. So pressure techniques. Now, I want to be really clear here. It doesn't mean that we're going zero pressure because there's always going to be pressure to eat just sitting at the table, experiencing yeah, a family having meal this food on
1: your plate in front of you. There's an expectation for you to eat it.
0: Exactly. And, you know, kids are actually born with an innate, I wouldn't call it pressure, but desire to eat. And that in itself is pressure. So what I'm talking about are these added pressure saying, hey, let's make this more stressful for our kid. So anything that goes along the lines of, you know, trying to explain to a two to five year old why certain foods are important to be eating can come off as pressure. Uh, praising them, like you kind of said, sticker charts or um, giving them chocolate chips or any sort of reward for eating, um, telling them they're a part of the clean plate club. Like everyone wants to be part of the club, right? right. That can be a form of pressure. Right. Demanding, bribing, begging, guilting is a big one we see that oftentimes parents skip and even the praise, like I said before. So all anything that would fit into those categories is kind of that added additional pressure that's basically what, it, what it's doing is it's taking away their autonomy. You're saying, hey, I'm in charge here, you need to eat three more bites. Or I'm in charge here, you need to eat that so that you can get XYZ toy or game or food or whatnot. That starts to go into that pressure uh, territory.
1: Right, right. And and like you said, it does come from a place of love. Like we just want the best for our yeah, kids. And totally. um, you know, and like I said, sometimes like you said it comes from this this anxiety ridden um feeling that we get as parents that if my child doesn't eat, they're going to starve or you right. know, whatever the case is. And then we kind of just go to those, okay, well, I'm gonna do this, or if you do this, and whether it's the punishment or the punitive way or the, the you know, the positive, like you said, reinforcement way, um, either way, you know, there's obviously something in the middle that you are going to share. <laughs> but we're gonna <laughs> Gonna, yeah. We're gonna just wait on that for just a second because, um, you know, I, I I want to have a couple of questions first, and then we'll get to what parents should do. But yeah. let me ask you this: um, Should parents make a separate meal for their kids? if you know they're not going to eat it. So sometimes, you know, if a parent's going to be making salmon and Brussels sprouts, right, that doesn't sound very appealing to kids um, most of the time. So should parents be making a separate meal or knowing their kids literally will not touch it? Or should they still put those things on a child's plate with the rest of the family at the dinner table in hopes that maybe they might at least get used to the smell, the touch, the texture, Mm -hmm. even the taste if they lick it or something like that?
0: Yeah. So I always recommend serving the entire family the same meal. And that can feel really overwhelming at first. But a lot of times when we're coming to the table with a posture of, I already know they're not going to eat this, like likely what's going to happen, right? Like We're already coming to the table with slumped shoulders. Now come to the table with a um, kind of posture of curiosity is what I like to tell my table talkers of what's going to happen today. I wonder. I wonder if they're going to look at it. I wonder if they're going to put it on their fork. I wonder if they're going to taste it today. I wonder if they're going to eat it. We're not coming to the table with expectations and we're not coming to the table already decided that they're not going to eat it. We're coming with a kind of posture of curiosity. And that A relieves a lot of pressure on us to feel like, oh no, they're not hitting expectations. It's really just getting curious about what's going on and how they're interacting with their plate. Now, that being said, although I don't recommend making completely separate meals, I do recommend being considerate. Right? And so I always like to say- Be considerate, but don't cater. So instead of catering to them, like, oh, I know they're not going to eat this pot roast, so I'm just going to make the mac and cheese and cut out the fight, which I completely understand. That fight is real. (laughs) Instead, can we say something along the lines of, okay, I'm making pot roast for the family. What side can I offer alongside of it that is something that they would normally eat and have eaten in the past? This is what I call a safe food. So I always recommend... Everyone gets the same food on their plate, but we are including at least one safe food that they can fill up their bellies with, and you know that at least they're eating something on the table. Right. And everyone has, um, has access to it. So maybe it's pot roast with a side of mac and cheese and another side of roasted cauliflower, and you serve that to the entire family. So that way they have their safe food. They have the opportunity to, like you said, experience this newer food to them—the food that they've previously rejected—because you just don't know if today is going to be the day that they decide to take a bite or lick it or smell it, or eat the entire plate. I cannot tell you how many times that's happened with my own son, who was once picky, who all of a sudden I would put it down and he would eat it and ask for seconds. And I'm sitting there completely stunned, like, right. what and you don't want to make a big happened. deal on it.
1: You're just like, oh, totally. Sure, you're <laughs> <awesome.">
0: <laughs> yes. And you're like, okay, so I'm just going to play it cool. It's totally fine. But like, what? <laughs> you just ate me like under the table practically <laughs> of this food you once never touched. And that's, we're kind of robbing ourselves and them of this experience of the what if. So I always say, come to the table with curiosity, be considerate, but don't cater.
1: Yes. and And I love that because if the child doesn't have the opportunity to eat certain foods, and you avoid them because you think they're not going to eat it because the past has told you that they haven't eaten right. it the last 20 times. That 21st time might be that opportunity. But if you avoid it as a parent and don't even put it on their plate for that 21st time and they don't have that opportunity or even the 22nd time or whatever it is, then they're not even going to have the opportunity to even try it. Or you know, as a play exactly. therapist, I'm, yeah. I'm very into you know sensory eating. You know, um, love I said, it. Yeah, playing with your food. You know, giving the child the experience, the sensory experience of food. Like I said, smelling yes. it, looking at it, feeling the texture, um, smelling it, licking it—all those things—to get used to a food because you know, like you said, it may not be the first time or the tenth time, but to continuing to give them that opportunity is 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 really key. Um, and I love the fact that I know you call them safe foods. I usually call them preferred or non-preferred food. But I, I usually try to do that as well, where I put something right. they really like on their plate, something kind of neutral that they like, but they don't love. Um, and then also maybe something new or different or something they haven't really eaten in the past, but I want them to still be exposed to it. Yeah. Um, so I love that you have that same type of mentality because I really believe in that too. And just getting, like I said, that sensory experience around food.
0: Exactly. Right.
1: Yes. Um now, going back to that, how many opportunities, in your experience, have you seen parents needing, you know, will it be 21 times before they eat the broccoli? I mean, I'm sure it's different for every child. Not every child is the same, I know. But I mean, should parents just keep trying until it finally clicks and kindly and works? Or is there usually like a certain time frame um, that usually works for kids before they actually will start eating it?
0: Yeah, this is such a great question. And you kind of already nailed it. You know, Every kid is so different. So there are some research articles that we can point to and say, okay, on average, it takes between 20 and 30 exposures to a food for a child to try it and or like it. And what that means is typically people who are following me on my page, listening to this podcast, needing the help, are going to be on the higher end of 30. That's what I typically like to tell people is like, hey, if you're even seeking this out, expect that it's probably going to be more than 30. And sometimes we can get really, um, I don't know, overwhelmed or feeling like already pre defeated and being like, gosh, I've served him broccoli so many times, they're still not eating it. And, you know, sometimes it's like, well, have you? Like, how many times have you really served broccoli? Because sometimes five or 10 times feels like a million times. And it's, sure. it's just not. So I actually have a post on my Instagram from a long time ago where I actually showed how many different meals serving cantaloupes for 30 times. And people were like, Wow, I've never seen it laid out like that. Thirty is a lot, right? Like yeah. that's practically yeah. once every other week for a year. And so I think people, um feel like, yes, it can be daunting and it's taking forever, but 30 is a lot. And so continue to offer, continue to offer. And at the end of the day, you know, someone said this to me on my Instagram the other day, like, you know, everyone has preferences, right? Like they may not like all foods. And that is so true. But what I always say is it's really not our job to make that decision for them, which is what you're doing when you stop offering that food is you're making that decision for them because you, you know, they're not typically cooking, right? The age group we're talking about, although I do recommend Great. that as they get older, but they're not typically grocery shopping, budgeting, choosing the foods, putting them on the plate, cooking them up. And so really, it's up to you to offer these foods. So an example, I don't like olives, and I probably never will like olives. And that's (laughs) okay. And that's okay to have preferences. But had I been like never exposed to a certain food as a child, I would have such a harder time to accept that food as an adult. So instead, we want to offer them this variety, offer them these experiences. Yeah, like the whole time that they're in your home, so that they have that opportunity to decide for themselves.
1: Right. So that a question actually just popped in my head when you were saying that. What what do you feel or what are your thoughts on if a parent says, let's say, you know, food is served, you know, dinner is served and the child says, "Mm, gross, I don't want to eat it. And then the parent says, well, you won't know unless you try it. Is that good? Is that encouraging? Or is that part of a pressure technique of at least saying, well, you don't even know because you've never even had cantaloupe before. (laughs) This is your your first time eating it. And you have no idea if you like it or not, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think um, what I would recommend in those states, instead of kind of what's happening there is you're kind of going head to head with them, right? Like, which 100, if you have a toddler, you know, if you go head to head with them, they will dig in their heels and they will (laughs) likely win, right? Like my toddler (laughs) has like, I swear, just so much determination and they're fighting for something they don't even understand. And you're like, oh man, (laughs) I want to videotape you right now. But in all reality, what I like to kind of picture, and I know you guys can't see me right now, but instead of going head to head, right? Like fist to fist, like let's walk alongside them right? Like let's not give them any reason to dig in their heels. And so in that instance, when they say, yuck, I don't want to eat that, we say, oh, that's so interesting. What about it makes you feel like you won't like it? And start describing the food. And that's just a positive way for them to interact with the food. So, well, it's orange and I don't like orange foods. Okay. Sounds good. Move on. Right? We don't need to (laughs) dwell there. We don't need to linger there. And honestly, not every food comment at the table needs an immediate and equal response, even though as parents we feel like it does. Right? Yes. But this is, again, this is something that I've witnessed not only with my own kids, but also with um Uh, parents who have come through my program and, and I've sat with them and worked with them of, you know, once you let that go, sometimes they'll come back around to it at the exact same meal and eat it. And you're like, what is happening? Well, their brain just isn't fully formed yet. (laughs) So they're literally trying to test for boundaries and poke holes and see where mom is going to double down, where she's going to draw that boundary. Is it if I do or don't eat this food? Is it if I call it a name or call it yucky? What is it? And every parent has their own boundaries and you have to decide that for yourself. But, you know, it's really interesting when we let them explore Oftentimes they do circle around to it, and not always in the same meal. But it is really fascinating to watch when my son puts food in a in a his what I call maybe later bowl, and he puts it there, and he's like, "Yuck, I don't want that." And I'm like, "Okay, you don't have to eat it." And then we continue on with their dinner, and then by the end of the meal, he's come back to it and eaten it. Right. And, you know, and I think we just try to hold them to their words so tightly, and it's just it's nonsense because they're just still kids, you know.
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay, so that leads me to my next question of. You have some, you know, different safe foods and, 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 you know, non-preferred and preferred foods on the plate and the child eats the preferred food first. Let's say they eat the mac and cheese and the pot roast is still sitting there and they say, I'm still hungry. Can I have more mac and cheese? But they haven't even touched the pot roast. Do yeah. you give them more mac and cheese or do you say, hey, if you have a couple bites of pot roast, then I'll give you the mac and cheese or, is, you know, how, how do you how do you figure that out?
0: Sure. So even just in kind of talking through that, you were kind of saying like, oh, well, if you take a few bites of your pot roast, then you can have more mac and cheese. And even though it's subtle, that's going into the area of bribing, right? It's saying right. if you eat that, then you get more of this. And so what I recommend and what I teach on a really truly foundational principle is what is called division of responsibility. I didn't coin that term, another dietitian did, but really the practice is saying there are roles that we have at the table. And when we cross those roles, when we try to take on someone else's responsibility, that's where picky eating starts to get worse. And so the roles in this division of responsibility says that the parent is in charge of what foods to put on the plate, when they're eating, and where. And the child is in charge of if they eat that food that's presented to them, so yes or no, skip a meal or not and how much of that food they're going to eat. So once you have decided to offer a food, I always recommend to continuing offering them more even if they haven't touched anything on their plate. Now, there are still a few caveats on that. And honestly, I can't just get into that all now. I have an entire podcast episode on when to say no on my Ooh, podcast, okay. Nutrition for Littles, because of course there's some like gray area, some nuance of, well, how much do I have in my home? I can't just buy endless mac and cheese and just continue to fill their plate. And what about other people right. at the table? So there are some times to say no, but if you can say yes, say yes. Now, what I do also recommend here is you don't have to say yes right away and get up and down from the table like a ping pong ball, you know? You can right. say yes, absolutely. You can have some more mac and cheese. Find that yes, connect with them on the yes, and then say, mommy's going to take a few more bites first, and then I'll get it for you. Nothing without mm, like having to touch or look at anything else on their plate. We're not suggesting what they do in the meantime. We're just saying, hey, give us a second. And oftentimes, kids will experience their plate for just a few more minutes while they wait for whatever the yes. food they want, and it will lead to them eating. Not always, but sometimes.
1: Yeah, you know, I've actually noticed that with my kids sometimes, you know, when I've said just give me five minutes and I either forget or I get sidetracked or just whatever. And then all of a sudden you see them at least picking at it or you know touching it. Or like I said, some of that sensory experience comes out. So
0: yeah, and it's it's important for our kids to notice that, hey, moms have needs too, right? And when I'm a mom or when I'm a dad, my needs are going to be important. And that's kind of like a nice little fallout of that experience as well as them realizing that we're all human. And that's a slow learn for them, right? It's like, oh, mom has needs. We need to make sure she gets (laughs) full so she's not cranky with us later, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's that role modeling. It's that setting boundaries. I mean, all of that's really healthy teaching for kids. So you touched on something that led me to another question that I wanted to ask you. It was about portion sizes. So obviously, you know, kids have smaller tummies than adults do. But, um, you know, when I notice that when I put too much food on my kids' plates, they won't eat it as much. They're almost just kind yeah. of overwhelmed by it just from the get-go when I first put the plate down. So, how do we know, you know, should we just put two grapes down instead of four? You know, how do we know kind of how what mm-hmm. portion size works or is it just kind of a trial and error with which with, with each child?
0: It's definitely a little bit of a trial and error, but I always recommend to put less on their plate than you think. Like truly What you think you need to be putting on their plate, cut it at least in half, if not into a fourth. You're exactly right. And what you're picking up on is overwhelm. They're seeing this plate. And like we talked about earlier, even if we're doing our very best, they're still going to feel additional pressure at the table and putting a lot of food on their plate is a in a sense to them, it's like this expectation of I have to finish my plate. Whether or not we have ever said that to them, right? There's just so many confounding factors that leads them to believe that they're supposed to like eat what's on their plate. And so start small. And then as they ask for more, this kind of goes back to our last question, they can ask for more and you fill it up and you're building trust between the two of you, building connection. They're learning how much they need. They're listening to their body. There's a lot going on when you actually allow them to ask for more get their request fulfilled, and really they're experiencing how to tune into their own hunger and fullness and how to advocate for what they want, which builds confidence and autonomy. And all this is happening around the table, which is, in my opinion, really beautiful to see. So starting with less is so, so helpful. As far as how much kids actually need, um, it's so variable. So kids don't grow perfectly on a growth chart. They shoot up and then they plateau and then they shoot up and then they plateau and then they go up a little bit and then they plateau. But when we go to the doctor's office, we see this nice curve, which in our head, we kind of interpret as, oh, they should be eating about the same amount every day, if not a little bit more each day, because they're growing. And it's just simply isn't the case. They'll have days where they can eat two, three, four servings of something and other days where they don't touch anything. And this is very normal. And um, it's really helpful for us to know that because serving sizes are kind of uh, almost arbitrary, but T- like technically if you're going to look at it it's about a tablespoon per food per year of age so your four-year-old we're looking at four tablespoons of applesauce for their serving of applesauce which really wow. isn't that much when we think about it um sure. so hopefully that relieves some parents out there but in no way am I saying that they should be having the same amount of food every day even if that's like technically that's serving size does that make sense
1: yeah, definitely it does, and I, I like the less is more, you know, because they can always right. ask for more or ask for seconds, thirds, whatever the case is. But if you start with the seconds or thirds and like it's too much food, then you might lose them from the beginning. So I like putting less on the yeah. plate and then you know having them ask for more. I, I love that you know mentality and just that practice that we can get into when serving our kids. Right. Um, what about kids who eat with their hands instead of utensils, especially let's say when they're When they're toddlers, yes, I can get it developmentally. Those fine motor skills are still developing and et cetera. But what about a child that already knows how to eat with their utensil, but they just choose not to because either they want to eat quicker and it's faster to eat with their hands or whatever Mm -hmm. the case is? Um, What's normal? What's not normal? And what should parents do about it?
0: (laughs) Sure. So the best thing you can do about it is modeling the behavior. Um, I'm, you know, honestly, as a dietitian, some of the uh, motor skills are a little bit outside my scope. So I can do kind of the first few things, and then I'm like, okay, you need to maybe go see an OT or a PT to make sure that your motor skills, your gross motor skills, are working correctly, like being able to bring food to their mouth. Cutting with a fork. Um, But there are some things that we can do in our control. So, one is modeling, you know, using utensils. Two is providing them with appropriate sized utensils. So many times parents are giving them adult sized or baby sized. And it's unfortunate. I wish this wasn't the case, but it, it is kind of nice to buy those toddler sized utensils. And there are some things to look for for sure, but ones that are easy for them to grasp, that aren't too pointy or sharp, that have a good weight to them, you know, all of these things to encourage them to make it easier. Because you're exactly right. If it's hard, if it's frustrating, they're going to give up. And also knowing that there are some foods that are just always going to be easier to eat with your hands. For example, I still, to this day, I'm such a child. I eat pancakes with my hands. I butter them. (laughs) I dip them. I eat them practically like a taco. Same thing with tacos. So there are going to be some foods that they might prefer their hands and that's okay. I always say, trust your mama gut. If you're like, this might be an actual motor issue talk Mm -hmm. to your doctor, get them evaluated. Absolutely, that's outside of my scope. However, there are some things that we can control that help encourage them to do this, but it is common, especially if they're hungry and they're like, I don't wanna learn a new skill before I eat, I just want to eat. So that can (laughs) be really common as well.
1: Right, exactly, I love that. Okay, so going back to me being a play therapist, you being a dietitian and finding fun ways to eat food or to make just eating mealtime fun. Um, I'm all about the different parenting hacks, you know, to make that happen. I know you've mentioned a few on your site, um, like putting a pairing a straw with some soup. So maybe instead of eating the the soup with a spoon, you have a straw or, um, you know, cutting a sandwich into little cookie cutter shapes versus just giving a piece of bread cut in half, you know, type thing. Um, I probably just gave your two best ones away. I don't know. But what what other kind of fun, playful um, food parenting hacks do you have to try and help your kids to eat in a playful way?
0: Oh, yeah. I love this question. So yeah, shapes are a big one. Um, I was really against them for a long time. Kids don't eat shapes to eat food. Well, no, but it does help. It makes them excited. <laughs> the yes. straws is a great one. Also, just changing out utensils, making them a little bit more fun. We have like a tractor utensil. We also have used like baby bell peppers to be um, scoops or spoons before, Ooh, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, also, just here's what I, my recommendation is for parents. Um find what they're interested in and try to find a way to weave that into having fun with food. So is that dinosaurs? Great. Find a dinosaur plate. Is that, you know, I, my, my son, when he became a big brother, he loved being a big brother. So I started talking about how his babies were, uh, or his uh, Brussels sprouts were babies and big brothers <laughs> and dads and moms. And he loved it. And just telling a story behind it, singing a silly song about it, having a dip and calling that dip something goofy. You know, like if it's, I don't know, ranch dressing, maybe it's like snow. Or, um, you know, maybe it's some sort of anything that they're interested in, mud or dirt or something like that. And so that always just makes it really goofy. A big one too is sprinkles and not always the rainbow sprinkles, although those are really fun, but using anything like sprinkles like chia seeds or the very tip tops of broccoli, you can kind of rub that off with your thumb and use those as sprinkles. So there's a thousand different ways to make it fun. And sometimes that feels really overwhelming to us. And this is just a reminder that everything is only fun because it's novel So don't overdo it because then all of a sudden it's no longer novel, right? And so use it sparingly, but also kind of flip back and forth because eventually if you do so much fun and shapes and and wild things with food, regular food is just as novel. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's okay to mix it up.
1: Yes. And speaking of mixing it up, I know we kind of touched upon it earlier, but when it comes to exposing children to new foods, like you said, it could take Mm -hmm. even more than 30 times Should parents serve, let's say, broccoli? Let's use broccoli as an example. Should they serve broccoli 30 times, like, you know, every day for that month and hope that by the end of that month they start eating it? Or should parents be um, giving their kids a variety of different fruits? Like maybe they try broccoli on a Monday and then cauliflower on a Tuesday, zucchini on a Wednesday, et cetera, and then they go back to the broccoli on Thursday. Um, What do you think is the best, best method?
0: Yeah, I definitely think that every day can get very overwhelming and burnt out for them, right? Like we'll get burnt out on food pretty easy. I know I do. And so like honestly can't even have Mexican twice in a week. I'm like, all right, I'm over it. I need something different. And so (laughs) just remembering to keep it casual. And I like to say maybe pick one or two foods to focus on every month and introduce them just one to two times every week. And also looking for signs that they are burnt out on it and giving them a nice long break, like a week, two weeks, maybe even a month before you reintroduce it. Sometimes they just need a break from that that food and that's okay too.
1: Yes. And I actually, now that you said that, it reminded me that, um, so I used to work specifically and exclusively with children on the autism spectrum um, Mm -hmm. and some with very, very serious food aversions, you know? Um, And, you know, so we would have this um, almost rotation going on where I would almost have the whole month planned out and every week or every day we would introduce, you know, new and different foods. And, you know, um, we always had them at least twice a month, but it was very spread out, you know, just so they can get exposed. And then we did... Uh, you know, things like, you know, let's the like almost like exposure therapy, where the first time yeah. they just see a picture of it, here's a picture of a carrot. So they at least hear the word carrot, they compare it with the picture. And then the next day, maybe they have um, an actual carrot on their plate or in their back, mm-hmm. you know, for for snack time. And they just kind of look at it. And then the next day, they actually open the bag and maybe get a smell of it, like what it smells like. And the next day, maybe we try to get them to lick it. And then maybe by the fifth day, we get them to actually try and take a bite, you know, whatever it is. Um, Do you find that works? Um, I know it worked for me and some of my clients. um, And again, you know, in a very uh, exclusive population. But do you find that that's something helpful that we can do as parents to kind of expose them in a small um, way that kind of stacks up to actually getting them to the finale of actually eating it?
0: yeah i think there's definitely some truth to that for all kids um that, you know and and obviously working with someone with autism is is maybe a different approach but it's all it's all within the same realm right it's they're going through the same exact motions and and learning processes and it might just uh it might just present differently on the outside, but this is absolutely part of it is saying, you know, getting them first. And and just to like put any, anyone's mind at ease, I always recommend to start just with like food on the plate and see if they eat it, right? Become curious. But if you are struggling with, with picky eating and there are certain foods they won't eat that you want them to eat, absolutely being okay with them having it on the table, on their plate, looking at it, playing with it outside, you know, um, of the table. So maybe it's scrambled eggs for you. So they're actually involved in scrambling the eggs before you make them. Getting all those Different exposures and one hundred percent, like play therapy with foods, is cannot be understated. So important to get yes. all those different senses. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, one hundred percent, and and truly just letting them experience the food, touch, feel, taste. All of it. Because those are ways that we become more familiar with anything. And once we're more familiar with it, it feels safer to take a chance on something like eating it, right? Like actually putting it in our body, which can feel really scary to children. Even if to us, we're like, yeah, it's a carrot. It's going to be
1: fine. To them, this is
0: totally new. They're still learning. they have only
1: been eating for a few years. So it's really helpful to remember that. Exactly. And I've even had some, you know, clients in the past that, again, their food aversions were so serious that they would only eat foods with a certain texture, maybe, um, right. you know, so they would only eat crunchy foods or they would only eat soft foods. And so it was really hard because they would refuse the foods, you know, and, and have a meltdown if, if a food that was, let's say, a cracker that they didn't like crunchy foods or carrots. And it was put in front of them. And it was just, you know, bef- before you even tried to eat it, it was a complete meltdown. So again, there's obviously differences. And I know autism is is, is a whole different population that we're focusing on today, um, but Still, I mean, it was just knowing your children's preferences and whatnot. But what do you, right. what do you tell parents, or what advice do you have? The ones that are worried that if they put a meal on the table and the child misses the meal because they refuse to eat, and they go to bed hungry, let's say if it's if it's dinner time and they go to bed hungry, what is your advice? I mean, what, at that point, would you say, okay, I'm going to pick and choose my battles. I'm just going to—they're not eating anything I put on their plate tonight. I'm just going to make them a hot dog, so at least they go to bed with some food in their belly. Or do you? I almost say like put your foot down, but say, you know, this is the meal I made you tonight. It was your choice not to eat it, and since you didn't, you know, you're just going to go to bed hungry tonight. And knowing they're going to be okay, and they're going to live, and they're not going to starve to death, you know. Yeah. Um, Where is, is what is advice do you have about that?
0: Sure. So it really depends on where you're at in this journey of of uh, gently leading them towards trying new foods. And so, <clears throat> you know, I actually have <laughs> literally an entire podcast episode. Sometimes I answer people's questions, and this is one of the questions: Do I send my kid to bed hungry? What, what happens? Cause it's a really nuanced conversation. Um, sure. because of course I never want to say don't feed your kid. That is never the answer, but we are set up to give them opportunities to eat throughout the day. I say at least four times a day, they should have an opportunity to eat up to about six. Every kid is going to be different of when that is keeping that routine really consistent. Um, and having those moments of meal rejection can feel really scary as a parent. Um, but a reminder here too, we, we see meals sometimes, don't we? I mean, really? every once in a while I get too busy or too stressed or I fall asleep early or I wake up late and I've missed a meal and, and we are going to be okay. And, and their intake, their hunger and fullness is going to fluctuate every day. So sometimes they're refusing a meal, not because they hate it, but because they're not hungry or they want to go do something else or, you know, something else is at play. Maybe they're getting sick. There's so much at play. And so I would, I would say I would try to refrain from if they choose not to eat foods, make them a separate meal because all that's going to do is encourage them to do it again and again and know that that option is on the table all the time. So that's a boundary I recommend holding, but there is a way to do it compassionately in a way that we're making sure that our children's needs are getting met. Just like I said before, being considerate without catering. So making sure there is a food on that plate that they're willing and have proven to eat in the past is so, so important. Um, it's very rare that kids go to bed quote unquote hungry and then wake up or unable to sleep because of their hungry. It does happen of course. Um, But what, maybe if that's happening, we say, okay, what can I assess? Maybe they do need a bedtime snack but I don't ever feed them or don't feed them based on what they did or didn't eat at the meal before. So if they ate a ton, I would never say, oh, because you ate a ton at lunch, you don't need dinner, right? We would never say that. And that's true with with a snack as well. We would never say, oh, well, you didn't eat dinner. So now you have to have a snack. What I would recommend is saying if this is happening consistently, adding a snack, but that doesn't mean that snack is only offered on nights where they don't eat dinner. Does that make sense? So just keep it really consistent. So these are our eating times. This is our rhythm. And this is what makes sense for our family. So you're always going to have dinner and you're always going to have a bedtime snack.
1: I love that. Wow. Your your advice is so invaluable. Um, I know we're almost out of time, but one more kind of quick fire question. I know we've kind of talked yeah. a lot about it along the way here, but any other last minute thoughts or advice you have for parents of what we should be doing to help introduce new foods to kids or possibly eat more vegetables? I know it's kind of a big one. I get um, even asked myself a lot, how do, how do I get my kids to eat more vegetables? Any other yeah. um, quick advice you can give on um, what parents should be doing that we haven't talked about already?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the biggest one, I think, is just knowing that um, their experience around food and connection to you are some of the most important things you can do. So whether that's, even if they're not eating it, but they're having fun pretending that their carrots are dinosaurs, or you know you're, they're laughing and playing with you, you are a trusted friend and ally at the table. Be that for them. Be that place of safety, not that you're going to come head to head. And that mealtimes get to be relaxing in a place of connection and parenting and it gets to be a place where you can actually enjoy your meals together instead of having the mealtime battles that you maybe you're having right now if you're listening to this episode. And I just want to have some solidarity with you that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of parents struggle with this. And it, it is a difficult, complex issue, which is exactly why I do what I do. We walked that road of picky eating. And I noticed that not only, of course, I was concerned about how much vitamins and minerals and calories and proteins my kid were get, my kid was getting. But I realized our relationship was deteriorating. We were eating three, four, five meals together and every time was a battle. And it was coming between me and my son and me and my husband and it was not worth it anymore. And so I decided to make a change and it took some time, but over time now, he's no longer picky. (laughs) He doesn't scream when food gets put there. We can actually have a good relationship. So I think focusing on that connection and connecting with them first, being there for them um, is so important. And then forming those neural pathways that are a positive association with food. Now, this doesn't mean you can avoid all tantrums or that you should avoid all tantrums. Hold your boundaries that are important to you and your family, but you can do it in a loving and compassionate way.
1: Yes, I love that. That parent-child attachment is so important, and just creating that yeah. safe, trust environment between the two. Um, so, you obviously I, we could talk for hours. I know, and really? I probably I told really you. To ask <laughs> you, um, but let me ask you this: where Where can others find you for more information? Because I'm sure others are going to, you know, be inspired by our this episode and want more questions. I know you have a free yeah. picky eating guide on your website, and also mm-hmm. a table talk picky eating program um, on your website. Yeah. Can you share where that is and how they can get signed up for one of those?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm at Nutrition for Littles with periods in between on Instagram. That's probably the easiest place to find me. Um, and I have a link in my bio that has links to the to the resources you're talking about. My website is currently getting overhauled, um, but it is nutritionforlittles.com. So you can find me on Instagram. And in my bio, you can grab my free picky eating guide. So it's the first five steps for a peaceful meal time. Really sets you up for success there. And then if you're looking for more support where you truly learn not only what not to do, but also what to do. To do at the table to keep it low pressure for strategies that work and methods that you can use that are low pressure, but still encourage them to try new foods. That's what I teach you inside Table Talk. That alongside of a deep dive into nutrition and what they need and how to meet those needs and what that can look like. Plus, you also get a free call with me on a group call setting. So any questions that Table Talk doesn't answer or you're still struggling through, you can bring it to those questions. And that's all done through Table Talk, which you can find the link in my bio for
1: that. Wow. I'm I'm definitely, I'm going to download that free um, resource you have literally today. I'm going to give it to my, a, a copy to my husband and put it on the fridge so we can be on the same page and <laughs> have Love a more it. peaceful meal time. So um, again, Love it's that. very normalizing to know that so many parents around the world are are going through this at the same time. Um, and just like I said, your voice it's so invaluable. So thank you so much for being here today. And I hope everyone reaches out and downloads that same free resource as well.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm actually I would love to have you on my podcast too, nutrition for littles podcast, because we could talk about play therapy around food all day. So I can't wait to have that conversation. But thank you so much for having me. This was so great.
1: Wonderful. I can't wait to do that, too. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.